0: Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Welcome again to Midweek in the Word. Uh, We're so thrilled that you're joining us, as always. I'm Pastor Brad here with Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor, uh, getting ready for another podcast We are, uh, I'll admit, admit a little bit to this week, um, being a bit intimidated by the subject. I know we've been studying, trying to get ready. Um, and the reason for that is much of the discussion I've heard this last week about Sunday's sermon, about the, the person and the life of Joseph centered around the strong link that you and your sermon put between Joseph and Christ, Tom. Specifically, your comment about how no sin of Joseph's is recorded in Genesis, and you made the implication that this points us or directs us to Joseph as a type of Christ, uh, the anti-type that was to come. So so this week, we want to explore the concept of biblical typology and allegory, or up against allegory. Those terms get thrown around a lot, Um, so we've hopefully done our due diligence trying to get ready for this this week. Warning for those of you that are listening, we are treading into some challenging theology (laughs) as we're going to be discussing it, but don't, don't drop off yet. Make sure you stick around and listen as we work through this discussion. And we work through these. We'll be including some definitions of these things. So if you're unfamiliar with the terms, hang in there with us. We hope it'll be an encouragement to you this week. But as always, before we get to that, let's let's backtrack. Route 66 snapshots from Genesis to Revelation. Joseph in Genesis 37 through 50. Tom, what did we learn about what did we learn about God this last week?
1: Yeah, from Genesis 1 onward, we have been reminded that God is sovereign over all things. He is the Creator. All that he's created has lived under his authority. He is the one that in our last study commanded a famine over all the earth and gave seven years of unprecedented prosperity, but followed mm. by seven years of, in, of uh, unprecedented famine. We see that he is sovereign over the lives of people and families and kingdoms, that he raises authorities and takes them down. So I think that, that's a summary of Genesis
0: is basically we serve a sovereign God. Mm. Absolutely. Um, What what about mankind? Uh, Because it's a little interesting with the character of Joseph, and I know where we're going, um, but what about us? What about mankind from that story? Well, I think all of us
1: would like to raise a Joseph in our own family, that he could be <laughs> yeah. taken from us at 17 under really bad circumstances and still continue to walk faithfully with the Lord. But mostly mm. what we learn about man is that he wants to be his own God. He wants sovereignty over things, and there's a constant pushback and a battle taking place.
0: Mm, absolutely. And then finally, and this is, you know, don't tip your hand too much because we're going to get into this a little bit later, but how did the story of Joseph point us to Christ? Well,
1: when, I think when, when it's all settled and you, you look at all the portraits that are there, uh, our takeaway line on Sunday, I think, stands, and that is that Jesus Christ is the greater Joseph. So mm-hmm. I think there's a shadow of one that is going to be greater to come, and Joseph comes across looking pretty good. So it prepares you for yet another
0: Yeah, and I love the way you put it in your introduction this last week. You said, no other character so clearly is a portrait of the Christ Jesus who is yet to come. No other Old Testament individual so clearly demonstrates what a spirit-filled man would look like. Yeah. And, that's, and that's exactly where we want to go with the theme, because that was so prominent this last week. And again, I know people have been discussing it over the course of this week. And so we want to talk a little bit about this idea of allegory and typology. Uh, those terms are probably unfamiliar to most of our listeners. So let's start off by asking, what is allegory, Tom? How do you define that?
1: Well, I, I think the simple explanation is that in allegory, the interpreter Finds a symbolic truth in uh, unintended places that mm-hmm. that he he is coming looking for something and arbitrarily uh, makes a connection between what he reads in the text and what he wants it to say. So uh, it's it, it's not fighting to discover the author's intent as much, but as to unleash the. Uh, interpreter's imagination and basically ignoring literal interpretation and ignoring the history in the in the setting that it's written.
0: Yeah, possibly one of the classic examples that people have probably read about would be, uh, for instance, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, as I was doing some research this week, I ran into uh, the way origin, a father of, of the faith interpreted this, and this is kind of interesting to me. Um, he's, it says this in, in one of the quotes, one of the elders uh, in his interpretation said that the man who set forth is Adam, Jerusalem is paradise, Jericho, the world, the thieves, the invisible powers, the priests, the law, the Levites, the prophets, the Samaritan, Christ, the wounds, disobedience, the beast of burdens, the body of Christ, the inn, which takes in everyone, the church, the Samaritan's promise, the second coming of Christ, and you just get this idea yeah. that everything included has some sort of deeper symbolic meaning.
1: Well, and I I think we need to be careful not to say that all allegory is wrong. I Mm -hmm. mean, uh, Pilgrim's Progress has been a treasure for the church for many, many years, Yeah. along with uh, where would we be with our children if we didn't have the Chronicles of Narnia? There you go. So there is an intended allegory, but when you're interpreting the scripture and making the scripture speak to your story in an inappropriate way, I think you've crossed that line.
0: Mm, Looking for those symbols and everything, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, so up against that, how do we understand appropriate biblical typology then? Well,
1: I, I think to recognize that the author's intent still drives it. What was he mm-hmm. trying to communicate? So letting, letting mm-hmm. him speak literally the way he intended. But the, the reality is there are people and events. There are structures like the tabernacle and the temple and uh, the whole worship order and all that point to some future fulfillment. So there are portraits and principles and promises, but they are they are discovered uh, with good discipline in the reading of the text. So it's really the the commitment to the historical, literal, simple reading of Scripture and letting it point us to those things.
0: So so if I if I may try and explore this or push back on this a little bit more, because somebody could argue. Well, what, what, what you would see as typology or what you would see as allegory, I just think is a form of typology. So at the crux of it, really, what is it that delineates the two? How do we distinguish one from the other appropriately? Well, I think in that discussion, it, it, you just go back and
1: let the text speak as the final authority and just ask the question, and how, how did you find that there? Uh, it it kind of harkens back to the Jesus movement of the 70s, <laughs> where Bible studies were just circles of people saying, "What does this mean to you?" Mm. And there was no guiding principle for interpreting and applying the Scripture. And so, I, I think I, I think that uh, number one, to discover it, you need to be able to show its fulfillment in the New Testament, and and show that there was an intentional connection in the Holy Spirit's mind. Between this thing that happened in the Old Testament and this reality in the New, which, again, is always greater in the Old Testament, the the type is always found in a greater fulfillment in the New. Mm. And so you just have to let the scriptures be the final authority on that and say well that's a fanciful idea but I don't find that in the scriptures.
0: Hmm. So it really comes back to the corner of authorial intent yep. is what you're speaking to. Yep. Uh, give us give us some practical advice then. What what is off base about the story of the good samaritan? The interpretation that I read from Origen, um, where is that off? Point point to that a bit for us if you could.
1: Well it's it's kind of off when it when it left Jerusalem and headed down the road. yeah <laughs> it, it, it started off. They, I think they were looking for something. I have to remember why Jesus told that parable yeah because he was answering the question, you know, who's my neighbor? And so he tells the story. And turns that question to what kind of neighbor are you? And so Jesus had no intention revealed anywhere in the context that he was headed off on that journey. He was just simply saying, you know, how do you treat those around you? Are you a neighbor to those in need? And that that text alone ought to ought to put the parameters on it. Mm.
0: So really, to your point of the authorial intent, Jesus' point of telling that parable was to explain who's the good neighbor, yeah. are you the good neighbor, some of those kind of questions, and to make it an allegory of the whole Christian life with yeah. the church and Jerusalem and all these different pictures is really taking it a step outside of what Christ as the author of that story yeah. intended to do with the parable.
1: Yeah. There is no simple link between that conclusion and that text That conclusion may, in fact, be true upon many principles, but to to anchor it to that text requires that you read the text with honesty.
0: Mm -hmm. And it kind of does that classic example. I know we talk about it and hear a lot about it in like preaching conferences and things. The idea of putting the preacher or the interpreter above the text gets us in trouble, as opposed to making our message subservient to the text, to be like, this is the message I want to deliver to my people, so I'm going to find an allegory somewhere in Scripture to prove it, as opposed to saying, this is the story of Joseph. Do we see a type of, of Christ in this picture?
1: Well, and I, I think I think the model of communicating teaching the Scriptures uh, drives that. If uh, it is a lot easier to fall into an allegorical interpretation if you're just committed to topical preaching, mm. but if it's step by step systematic exposition, the text will anchor you mm. and. Uh, but when you're sitting going, man, I've got to preach Sunday, and I think what they need to hear is, so you've already crafted the message that they're to hear, then you're running looking for some scripture that can support your conclusion. I think that's usually where allegory falls in, mm. in, in, in at least in the contemporary evangelical world.
0: Mm. And, and for our listeners, when they're leading a Bible study, participating in a Bible study, kind of doing what you've talked in the past as far as everybody's coming to that study or you're coming to your daily reading with a felt need, yeah. then you're kind of searching yeah. it out. Looking for something that's going to speak directly to your situation, as opposed to looking at the overall flow of the yeah. text that you're reading from.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think felt need-driven Bible reading is the, is the cause of landing there. Mm. And I think I see here what I wanted to hear from the Lord. But the reality is, I, I needed something, so I, I put a bandaid on my wound by just making the scripture speak to me.
0: Mm very much so. Okay, so let's get a little more practical here then. You were you were talking about Joseph, you were preaching from Genesis 37 through 50 on the life of Joseph or Joseph. What might be an example of of inappropriately allegorizing an element or the whole story in Joseph's life?
1: Well, there were, there were a number of illustrations of that as I searched uh, sermons preached on him. <laughs> I, I think the most are, intriguing are one was at the end, and we didn't really get there Sunday, but as, uh, as Jacob dies in a foreign land, uh, making his son promise to take his remains back and bury him in the land of the promise, it says that they embalmed him and grieved for him 70 days. Then they made the journey to Canaan. And then they grieved seven days. And uh, some of the pastors took that, preachers took that to say the 70 days is literally 70 years, and it is the sorrow prelude to the seven years of tribulation. And so they, they they made it kind of a dispensational, eschatological, 77, and somewhere they got the 70 years of captivity in Babylon, and then with the tribulation that's to come with the seven, and they did it all with the numbers. And I'd say probably the most intriguing, is, and it's happened again, is he threw, he threw his brothers in the dungeon for three days, and all of a sudden we have this whole three days in the tomb mm. resurrected from the mm. dead, There are a lot of three-day formulas running through Genesis. I'm not sure if you follow that vein, if they would land where some of them did. So usually it has more to do with the numbers or the personalities than it does most Hmm. other
0: things. Hmm. That's interesting. Or I've even heard kind of the concept of, you know, Joseph was in prison, you know, what is your personal imprisonment? Yeah. How can how can you be freed from that? You know, some of that kind of idea yeah. where it doesn't necessarily follow God's hand in Joseph's life so much as here's my personal need. I need and it always ends in a good note, right? You know, you know Joseph was freed, so I'm going to be freed following along lines well, and of that. I think
1: we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It, it, it's drawing that straight line too quickly mm-hmm. from the passage to the contemporary Christian mm-hmm. and forgetting to talk about what did the first hear. Understand and where do we see Jesus in this before we get so that application might be there. Your brother might want to sell you to the neighbor, you know.
0: (laughs) I've got three, so I understand. Well, in your case, I can understand
1: why they would want to, you know. But it's but that so there might be an application that even if your brothers want to throw you out, Mm. you know, God still knows and cares. And oh, if they do throw you out, God is still sovereign over your life. That's a legitimate application. That is not a
0: legitimate interpretation. There you go. Good. That's good. Um, So let's go back the opposite direction, Um, because from your message, you clearly saw that Joseph was a, you know, the terminology would be Joseph was a type, Christ being the anti-type or the ultimate fulfillment. Um, You saw the story as intentionally anticipating Christ. How did you come to that conclusion biblically uh, from a typological stance?
1: Well, it it had to do with repeated reading of the story of Joseph, first of all, just just letting the text speak. And then on repeated readings, all of a sudden recognizing the similarities between what is revealed about Christ in the New Testament. Mm. And so say, is is there a greater anti-type fulfillment to the picture here? And why would we have one son— who in, in such a cesspool environment, mm. is there is no sin recorded against him, and yet he was not offered as the perfect sacrifice. And mm. so you say it has to point to something. Then you go and compare it, and you see that they were uh, loved by the Father, they were sent to their brothers, they were they were uh, betrayed for silver. I mean, all of the overlap, mm. and you see there is a greater fulfillment in Christ that doesn't have to be forced. Mm. So it was possible just to take text for text and point out the bridge, and you conclude that this was placed there to help us look forward to one who would be able to go through the rejection of his brothers and go through great sorrow, mm. and at the same time not cave in to the temptation?
0: Mm. So really, that that read and reread and and trying to strive for what what emphasis is the author putting on it? Yeah. So the more times you read through it, the more the lack of a failure stands out to you yeah. um, in the life of Joseph, saying he stands so apart from the stories that, we, that we've talked about as far as the issues and character in, in the life of, of Jacob, in, in the life of Isaac, in the life of Abraham, in the life of Noah. Uh, it's, it's the lack of detail that really tips yeah. your hand that the author is trying to tell us something here.
1: Well, and, and to devote 13 chapters of a 50-chapter mm. book to one individual, I mean, and you say, okay, that just the volume of content Indicates Another one was that Joseph is not quoted, even though there's many mm. things he said there. He's not quoted in the New Testament, even by Jesus. And you're going, okay, he's there for a purpose, but it can't just close there.
0: Mm-hmm. And it really comes as an unexpected twist at the end of the book of Genesis. Because if, if I can almost summarize the book of Genesis in my words, it's really a story told of a faithful God to fallen men. And then all of a sudden, the last character bit, if you will, that we run into is this man, Joseph, and you see his faithfulness time and time and time again. Yeah, but it also carries the theme of Genesis,
1: he's faithful. But his bones are still embalmed yeah. in Egypt. <laughs> and he says, you know, take, take me back and bury me. And 400 years later, they drug his coffin with them yeah. for 40 years in the wilderness to bring him home to Canaan. So it's a weird kind of, yeah, you, you end with one finally gets it right, and he still dies. And yeah. you're thinking... Really? Is that the end of the story for all of us?
0: Yeah, Yeah. still waiting for the snake crusher. You know, Genesis 3, you talked about how how Eve was going, is is my first son, is he going to be the snake crusher? Clearly he wasn't. Even we get to the story in the life of Joseph, Obviously, his bones being buried (laughs) buried, indicate he's not the one either.
1: Well, but it it was interesting because in Romans 16, it says every time we resist temptation, we strike a blow on Mm. the head of the serpent. And certainly, Joseph kicked him a lot of times, (laughs) but he didn't strike the fatal blow. Mm. There's got to be someone yet coming.
0: That's good. That's good. Any other thoughts on this subject uh, before we wrap up the discussion, Tom? Other things that you're like, uh, I'd like to leave people with this or this thought on this subject? I, I think the first is
1: don't go into the text looking for all of these things. Go into the text just to read it and let it speak. Hmm. If you go in and you're looking, digging for all of these gems and jewels, you'll I think you'll stop too soon. Hmm. Just go into the text and read it, and as you're reading the scriptures, over time, those truths will start, those strings will start to connect themselves, those themes and ideas will start to come. And uh, so for the early Bible reader, don't don't try to look for all of that. Just enjoy the story, and Hmm. over time, uh, these things become more clear.
0: It's that idea of you know stick to it. You know, the yeah. Bible, you can read and reread and reread over the course of your entire life, and you see more of this stuff naturally rising from the text the more times yeah. you read through it, which is precisely for our listeners. That's why we're emphasizing um, the understanding of the whole of Scripture over the course of this year is because we believe that as you understand the bigger narrative of what God is doing, as you read it for yourself, you'll have a greater grasp for when you're in appropriate typology because it's risen from the text, and when you're maybe straying into that idea of Allegory yeah. saying, I want something that speaks directly to my circumstance, and I'll twist the text if that's necessary to make it work. Yeah. Good deal. All right. So that is it for typology and allegory. Um, Like I said, we are always open to additional questions. If there's an additional topic that we can come back to on this, shoot those to Tom, shoot those to myself, catch us in the hallway. Uh, We know we can't cover a subject like this in in its entirety in 20 minutes, Um, but we do hope that that will be helpful to you as you're seeking to read the text for yourself, particularly some of these narratives that, to Tom's point, have been interpreted in questionable ways at times in the past. Um, this Sunday, though, this Sunday, we're moving forward. The the, the ship must sail on if we're going to get through the Bible in a year. So you've got Genesis 38 through 50, but this time you're highlighting Judah and where he fits in that story. What are you looking forward to in the story of Judah this week?
1: Well, what I'm not looking forward to is chapter 38. <laughs> it's for mature audiences only. Yeah, roughly. But up. the bigger question is, why not
0: Joseph? Why mm.
1: Judah over Joseph?
0: Yeah, absolutely, um, and that, that kind of speaks to the interpretive question, second question as well too. Wrestling with that, what 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 are you struggling with most in that? Well, I, I think that
1: Jacob is chosen to place the blessing of the promise on the fourth-born mm. son, and so why why did Jacob not? You know why why did he? I mean, so I'm just going, oh, I, there's there's great hope. In the mm. fact that he chose Judah, mm. uh, to discover the transformation that is taking place in Judah's life through Genesis is quite revealing. And so, I think that that's uh, how, how did that come about, and why was it that Jacob was confident now to bless this distrusted son?
0: Mm. And how that story plays out itself as we move through the Exodus and then yeah. even into the tribes as they enter the land. Yeah. Uh, good, good deal. Good deal. How how can we prepare our hearts for the message? How can we be getting ready for something? Well, I think
1: just to, to summarize it simply in Luke three and in Matthew one, this Judah is included in the genealogy of Christ mm. Jesus, and so I think the
0: principle, uh, spoiler alert, is just simply that failure need not be final. Mm. What a great reminder uh, for each and every one of us. We'll look forward to hearing more about that from the story of Judah from Genesis 38 through 50. As we get ready, we do hope you'll join us for or on Sunday for the message as Tom brings us the story of Judah from that passage. And thank you for joining us again for another week. That's, that's it for this week. Remember, if you're following the weekly reading plan, you have Genesis 38 and then Genesis 49, 8 through 12 in anticipation of Sunday's message from Tom. A couple of things to put on your radar. Um, the first is that we're, we're working on a, a biblical theme summary sheet that would that will highlight some of the themes we've talked about over these last few weeks that will hopefully draw some of the themes together for you. We're hoping to have it up on our website at some point in the future. We'll make a better uh, highlight of that when that goes live. And then secondarily, uh, after Easter, be ready because the next quarter's worth of reading plans will be coming out. um, will be available at the church. That's the children's reading Plan that many of you have grabbed the adult bookmark that gives you the passages in anticipation. So don't worry; those are coming. Um, just uh, just hold out a little bit longer, and you'll you'll see them after Easter. Um. And that's it for this week. Um, We're so thankful that you've joined us again for another week, that you've hung in there to listen through the challenging subject of typology and allegory. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you and that uh, this discussion will help you be a more informed, better reader of the word for yourself. We'll be praying for you as you continue to read scripture for yourself, as you continue to read in anticipation of Tom's sermons. And we hope that you join us again on Sunday this week as Tom covers the life of Judah. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.